Hello and welcome to Northeast Christian Church online service. We are so happy to have you with us. Please be sure to follow NECC on all social media platforms. And to listen to all our past messages, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Thank you and enjoy the rest of the service. Today, we have our very own Welson Cesar, who will be preaching. Uh, Welson, uh, Welson's, let me phrase this correctly, I almost phrased it wrong this morning. Welson's better half is Mary Evelyn, our worship leader, uh, that you may know. Yes. Um, very privileged to have him. Uh, Welson is a graduate of uh, Moody Bible Institute and of Wheaton College, and he's been recently been helping me out in youth group as one of the panelists. He's a sharp guy. I love him. He's got a heart for Jesus, and that is what matters most of all, that we serve Jesus with all of our hearts. Our credentials mean nothing if we do not have the heart for God, and I, do, I know that Wilson does. So would you give a warm welcome to Wilson Cesar? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Dylan. Thank you, Northeast Christian Church. Uh, it is an honor to be with you today, and I am humbled to be preaching from the Word of God. As Pastor Dylan said, my name is Welson Cesar, for those of you who don't know me, and also, I'm also known as Mary Evelyn's husband. So, <laughs> uh, so it's, although I'm shy to say this, but I really enjoy when Mary Evelyn sings. I'm a favorite fan, even though I didn't tell her that often enough. But one thing I have against her, she doesn't sing for me at the house. So... We'll need to work on that. Speaking of which, uh, yesterday, she and I, we celebrated our 11th wedding anniversary. So, so if you get a chance at the end of the service to see her, give her a pat on the back for being the most enduring woman that I've ever met. So, so thank you, Marilyn. So I look forward to 11 more years of uh, loving kindness and, end and endurance in Christ and in loving each other. So, with that said, uh, I am also excited that some of my friends and colleagues from work are here today. I can't see where he's at, but I, I have a Haitian brother named Nick, and his family is here. I think that's the first time, so at the end of service, please make sure you give them a good, warm uh, welcome so they know they're also home being here. And last, before we delve into the Word, I do have a public service announcement as well. Uh, I have switched uh, uh, employer, and unfortunately, the new employer does not uh, allow me to speak publicly about finance. Uh, it's, it's because of regulation, so there's different rules, different places. So I'm unable to continue our small group. However, you are able to call me individually, one-on-one, -on -one, feel free to stop me and ask me any questions you have about whatever uh, financial matters that you'd like to. As many of you already know, those who came to my class, I serve as a financial advisor full time. So, but, but anytime you need my help, I'm happy to help. But this small group, until further uh, notice, cannot be continued at this time. With, with that gloomy note out of the way, let's cheer up and let's say a quick word of prayer before I read the scriptures for you. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to preach your word, and uh, thank you for making us your children, 
thus we are in Christ. As I open up the word today, I pray that you would use my lips to proclaim your truth. And please keep me from saying that which is not from you, that your people may be fed a delectable meal, a spiritual meal today, and that they may go home knowing that they learn and heard from you and not from me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The scripture from which uh, our teaching will come is in Luke chapter uh, 16, verses 19 through 31. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. Let me read for you. There was a rich, a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Verse 23. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Verse 25. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he's comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Verse 29, but Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. The word of the Lord. Today we title for the message today is How God's Economy Works. How God's economy works. Have you ever taken the time 
to consider, to consider this pattern, the pattern of consumption in your life. I mean, consumption like the consuming resources, using resources. Consumption is the basic fact of life. In order to survive, in order to live, we must eat. That's why you notice you don't have to teach babies how to eat. The day they are born, if you put your fingers in their mouth, you know what happens. And if they start sprouting teeth, you know what happens, for those of you with children. So consumption is a basic fact of life. To eat, to, I mean, to live, we must eat. To survive, we must have shelter, clothing. That's why you heard of uh, Maslow's Pyramid of Needs. At the bottom, you have your physiological needs, and at the top, you have self-actualization. So it is a fact. It is a clean, it's a normal principle of nature. We must consume resources in order to live. Consumption is the clean call of nature, and it is good. That's why, even if you go into Genesis in the garden, before God placed man on earth, before God created man, what did he do? He created food. L look at the six days of creation. What came first? Not man, food. The environment that supported life. The trees, all kinds of trees, fruit-bearing trees. And he said, I give you all this. So, Consumption is normal. Having resources, using goods and services of this world is normal. However, however, consumption can reach a point of distortion. There is such a thing as disordered consumption. Men having fallen, humanity having fallen into sin, Consumption can reach a place where now it replaces the creator with the created things where you live for consumption. Our Spanish brothers and sisters say, hay que comer para vivir y no vivir para comer. You must eat to live, but you must not live to eat. So consumption is a blessing that God already assumes for you. But this is not the purpose God has for our lives. And the French say, I'm not going to say it in French. Uh, <laughs> but the French say, uh, money is a good servant, but an awful master. So this is going at the heart of that same principle. Consumption is different than consumerism. Consumerism says, you are what you eat, you are what you wear, you are what's in your wallet. You heard the commercials, you've seen it. You've seen it. But what does God say? God say, what does God's word say about his economy, the way it works in his economy? We know how this world's economy works. What does he say? Well, we, we find the answer into how God's economy works in the parable, this story that we just read. And on the outset, when you open up the word, Jesus is speaking a parable. How do we know that? I know you don't see it readily in the English, but the way Luke introduces his parable, he would say, there was this, there was that, there was a man, so we know that. But, you know, 
a text without context is nothing but a pretext. But let me set the context for you here. If you read uh, the whole chapter, chapter 16, Jesus gave a good example of somebody who knew how to use riches and wealth to build up something for the future. And then, in verse 14, the text says this, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. So the text is addressed to people who did what? Who had a disorderly view of consumption. They were lovers of money. And Jesus even says, the verse is prior, he says, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will love, he will hate the one and love the other. Or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That's how we know this parable is addressing people who had a disorderly view of the resources of this world. So how, does thing, how do things work in God's economy? Well, we will see in, in light of this story how God's economy deal with reversal of fortune, how God's economy deal with repentance, and how God's economy deals with God's work. God's economy and reversal of fortune. Verse 19. There was a rich man, the text says, and on the outset, you meet that rich man. And the text doesn't wait long to tell you that he was clothed in purple. I don't know the last time you saw somebody in New England clothed in purple. I haven't seen any. But to Jesus' audience, purple was the material and the color that sit on the back of kings and nobles. So you know this man is not just anybody. The, the clothing he was wearing is a sign of his status. He's not poor, he's rich. And the text continued to say, and he was clothed also in fine linen. You know what fine linen was? Fine linen was not the outer clothing. Fine linen was the undergarment. So in other words, the rich man wasn't clothed in fruit of the loom, you know, kind of underwear. He wasn't wearing, you know, your marshals hand me down. Instead, he was wearing, you know, Versace. He was wearing, you know, uh, Dolce & Gabbana, you know. Even his underwear was designer's brand. <laughs> so you knew right here you're looking at somebody of status. Now, let's talk about his gastronomy. Let's talk about his, his food intake. The text says, and he ate who feasted sumptuously every. If you read the text too fast, you won't see this. He feasted, he didn't just eat, he feasted, how? Sumptuously, when? Every day. You know, sumptuous eating, you know, what, you know what that is? You know, the perfectly seasoned, you know, chicken fajitas, you know, the perfectly roasted, you know, turkey, you know? You know that perfectly baked green beans that arrested your mouth-watering, you know, uh, lips on Thanksgiving. You know, all this table full of food that's perfectly bookended by warm bread. This is not just on Sundays like the Haitians do it. It's every day. So if you visit this man, you know, He's dressed like kings and noble. He eats like king every day, not just when there is Thanksgiving party. So what else? Now, if you walk to the rich man's gate, now you'll see a different story, a different scene. 
at his gates, verse 20, was laid a poor man named Lazarus. Now, I don't want to deceive you and make you think Jesus here is telling a story that is true because this is a parable. How do we know that? There are five or seven other stories that are written like that in ancient Egypt that the Jews know about reversal of fortune. So, but I want you to pay attention to how Jesus took care to name that man. The name Lazarus is a common name from, it's a diminutive of Eliezer. Eliezer, you know, Eli, my God, Azer, helper, God is my help. So that's what his name means. So by all indication, we don't even know the name of the rich man, but we know Jesus took the time to name the poor man. We knew God was his help. But look at his physical condition. A poor man covered with sores. Verse 21, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table? So if I picture Lazarus today, I can see him like somebody who's dressed not in the Versace, but in rags. Clothes that look like, you know, cloth that you put under the coffee maker and you throw it in the dusty street of Palestine. And those same clothing items serve as dressing for legs that, that do not walk and arms that are begging. This is the poor man. And he was longing. He desired day after day to eat the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. And when you hear crumbs, it's not just as you're eating, there's something that you're just too full and you throw the rest away. This is bread, pieces of bread that in ancient times people used to use to clean their greasy hands. It's not even that. And to add insult to injury, dogs. The same thing they throw to dogs. Dogs were licking Lazarus' sores. And when I say dogs, I'm not talking about your nice, warm, and fuzzy poodles. This is scavengers back in the day. They did not take a bath. They did not receive any hairbrush. This is who was giving, uh, was licking Lazarus' sore. So these two men, rich man's life is bright as day. The poor man's life is dark. But one thing they had in common, one thing they had in common, this equalizer, this great equalizer, death, they had that in common. The text tells us the poor man died in verse 22 and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. We'll talk about Abraham's side in a minute. The rich man also died and was buried. But notice this. We are told Lazarus died, the poor man died, and he was carried by angels. We also told the rich man died and was buried. You see the difference? The poor man died, but angels came to carry him. The rich man died, and the only thing worth mentioning, he was buried. So I don't know about you, but when I die, I don't want to be those who are just buried. I want, it to, I want God to send his angels to welcome me. But the text says, the angels carried uh, Lazarus to Abraham's side. Your text may have a little footnote that says at the bottom, bosom, Abraham's bosom. That expression, we don't see at other places in the Bible. 
many people have come to think that means paradise. We don't believe that because it's not written often enough. And this is a parable. We cannot make too much out of it. So, but what matters is in that state where that man is, we know he's in the company of Abraham, the father of faith, the father of those who believe in God. Now look at the rich man's situation there in the afterlife. And in Hades, so verse 23, in Hades, being in torment, the rich man, he saw that and he called out, he asked for help. Now, look at the contrast between, between Lazarus' life before death and the rich man, and look at the reversal here of fortune. He asked, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip his finger. Now, we're going through a heat wave. So the last two weeks, you know, this 90-degree weather. Uh, I've gone through it. My kids gone through it. I don't want to play outside with them. I don't want to drench myself with sweat. I don't remember the last time I was so thirsty that a drop of water made a difference. Do you? So, but in Hades, which is the Greek for the Hebrew Sheol, which is the place of the dead, the rich man calls out and asks for just that. This is how intense the pain and the suffering was. Now, so far, what we've seen, we're seeing the rich man has experienced a reversal of fortune. This idea, not too new to, to Jesus' audience yet. And look at how Abraham is going to respond to his request. Verse 25, but Abraham said, the customer is always right. No, that's not what he said. He says, child, remember. So if you read too fast, you, you miss a few things here. The first thing you notice, the men called Abraham father. And Abraham responded, child. That means there must have existed, in the context of the parable, a national, a physical, a blood relationship with Abraham. So that man was born in the family of God, but he did not have faith. He did not know God like the true children of Abraham did. But here's Abraham's answer to him. Remember that in your lifetime you received the good things, but Lazarus the bad. And verse 26, besides all this, the situation is final. It's me summarizing the verse where it says there's a great chasm. So even though physical death doesn't mean the end of you forever because your soul continues, death is not final, but the opportunity to serve God, to be in God's economy is final. So we're seeing this. In God's economy, a reversal of fortune is normal. In God's economy, a reversal of fortune is normal. That means things are not necessarily what they are for you in eternity the way they're for you now. So when Jesus said that part, nobody's surprised. Just like you and I know the story of Cinderella, if you tell it to anybody, the people understood that part so far. Here's where Jesus is going to rip the fabric of the expectation. 
is where Jesus lives with that story. He continues. He says, Then I beg you, in verse 27, Father Abraham, send him to my father's house. So he wanted Abraham to send uh, Lazarus to his living relatives. And so far, all these things are found in the ancient world. But here's what Abraham's going to answer. And the, 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 before Abraham answers, let's, let's look at this key word here. And for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Warn them, right? But Abraham answers, they have Moses and the prophets. We'll get back to that part. Let them hear them. In verse 30, and he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. This is the key word here, repent. So not only in, according to Jesus here, a reversal of fortune is noble in God's economy, but in God's economy, repentance is key. In God's economy, if you do not repent, you do not have a piece of real estate in the life to come. So repentance is key. Repentance is the actual mortgage that's paid off for you by Jesus that gives you access to the economy God builds for those who have faith in him. So okay, when I came to faith, I was 15, I heard repentance all the time, repentance. But what, what is repentance? If you could move to the next slide, slide please. So re repentance, repentance is a U-turn. Repentance is a U-turn where you say to yourself, I know the way of this world, you live for yourself. You live for what pleases you. you. You live for what you feel inside of your heart, like follow your heart like the world says. That's the way of this world's economy. But repentance says, no, I'm going to change direction. I'm going to go where God tells me to go. I'm going to follow the Spirit's direction and not my own inclination. That is repentance. Repentance is both a state and an action. It's the state of being grieved for the sins you have committed, the things you have done that displease God, that are not in his plan for you. It is also the action of turning away from them to not go back and live in them again. The rich man was astute. He knew his five brothers are living in the direction that was opposite God's direction for their life. So he gives us a clue in what explained why he was where he was. It, his life did not, was not characterized by repentance. Why is repentance necessary, you ask? Well, repentance is necessary because we are born dead spiritually. We are born not knowing God. We are born inheriting sin. Not just sin as action, sin as a principle. Sin as a principle, that's why when you want to do good, you want bad things, that's what your body wants you to do. When you want to do the right thing, you find yourself following the wrong thing. That's why repentance is necessary. I know the world tries to tell us that we are good intrinsically. We just have bad environment that put us in the wrong place. If you put the child in the right place, the child will be, no, God's word says we are born, the heart is corrupt above all things. Who can know it? Only God can do something about it. 
And that is when you place by an act of faith, a God, I am tired of doing things my way. I am tired of living my way. I want to live your way. Repentance is key in God's economy. We see in God's economy, uh, a reversal of fortune is normal. In God's economy, repentance is key. But in God's economy, we see something about his word. What does it say here? In verse 31, he said to him, and this is Abraham talking to the rich man, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone would rise from the dead. So Moses, I mean, uh, Abraham is telling the rich man, if your five brothers who are still with your parents, if they do not listen to what Moses and the prophets have to do, you know, when, you, when the word says Moses and the prophets, it's a metonymy, it's a figure of speech. It's like if I say, I've read Shakespeare. I didn't really read Shakespeare. Shakespeare is a person and he's dead. So what did I mean? I mean, I read the words written by Shakespeare. So when Abraham says they, ha they have Moses and the prophets, Moses, you know, the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses, they have the Torah, they have the law of Moses, and they have the prophets. That means the writings. That means they have the word of God. So we see, and our next point is going to come up, in God's economy, his word is gold. God expects his word to do the convincing and not a miracle of somebody going back from the dead. You know, the irony of the whole story is, this is a parable, but in John chapter 11, there was a man named Lazarus who was what? Who was Martha and Mary's brother. And what happened to him? You know the story. He died and resurrected because Jesus resurrected him. And how many people came to faith? Plenty of people did not come to faith because of that. So do you, do you see how much stake God has put on his word? According to God's economy, it is not what you eat. It is not what you wear. It is not what's in your wallet. That's going to make the difference in his economy. It is God's word. In God's economy, his word is golden. His word is the currency that will make the difference. You know how this, word, how this current economy works? You know, right now, many of you, including myself, we experience a re uh, uh, not a recession yet because it's not officially announced, but we experience inflation. Inflation, you know? You see it at the gas station. You can feel it when you swipe. The other day, I almost called my bank to file a fraud claim because I saw a $67 charge on my credit card. I thought it was fraud, but it was me swiping to pay gas. I just hadn't paid gas for so long that for that much, I thought it was fraud. Literally, I picked up my phone and said, ready, ready, what is $67 for? And then I was like, wait a minute, ExxonMobil. That's me. <laughs> you know? So the, the world's economy, your money doesn't have the same value unless you continue to earn more because goods and services go up in prices. And when that happens, the Federal Reserve, which is the central bank of the U.S., what do they do? They raise interest rate because the economy is heating up. So to cool it off so inflation doesn't go rampant, right? But guess what? In God's economy, his word never loses an inch or a, value, or a penny in the value of its power to change your heart, to change my heart, to make us a new creation in Christ. God's word will never be bankrupt. God's word will never not be enough. So in God's economy, 
his word must play a central role in your life. Your feelings must not. Your enjoyment of pleasure must not. Because think about this. Why did God create man? He didn't create men to live for things. He already made this thing before you were made. He created us to glorify him and to enjoy him forever, like the Westminster Catechism says it. But think about this. It's normal for you and I to build wealth to get possession. What God expects from us is to not let this possession become our object of worship. But you say, well, I never lay down and put my head in front of the, the, my bank account and worship it. Sure, you never done that. But when that bank account is draining, how do you sleep at night? What is the ultimate meaning for your life? Where do you find your ultimate sense of significance? Is it in what you possess? We know the Bible is not against wealth. You know how we know that? Even though the Bible says, blessed be the poor in spirit because for theirs is the kingdom. And Luke presents that really well. It's because we also see, we also see there are rich people supporting Jesus' ministry. We see that uh, Dorca in the book of Acts was a, a purple uh, dealer. She was rich and she was supporting ministries. We also see that uh, Apostle Paul in First uh, Timothy chapter 6, he speaks like, let the rich be generous, meaning they were rich believers, <laughs> you know, among them. So God is not against wealth because God gave you wealth. He created wealth before he created us. So wealth is not the problem. What is the problem? The problem is your view of wealth and what place wealth occupies in your heart. If things are backwards, where we fall to the prey of consumerism versus consumption, then we have a problem. So we've seen in God's economy, a reversal of fortune is normal if fortune, wealth, and possession have the wrong sense in your life. We see that uh, uh, repentance is key if you acknowledge your need of a savior. Repentance is key. And lastly, we saw God's word is gold. What role does God's word play in your life today? The worship team may come. What role does God's word play in your life? I was embarrassed by somebody among you today uh, this past summer when I was showing up to her house. I had a document to give her. So I showed up at uh, Alicia's house to give her a document. And what did I see in the back of her uh, living room? I saw the action, the children's action Bible. And I think I asked, I don't, I don't remember how the conversation started, but she told me she bought that for her son to be in the Word. And then worse, Mike, her husband, told me that she, uh, they read the Word of God together in the house. I'm like, man, Marvel and I, we need to pick up our game. We need to step up our game. <laughs> so, but what, what, what role does the Word of God play in your life today? The word of God has to be central into how you pattern your sense of well-being, in terms of how you pattern your sense of significance or self-actualization. The word of God has to be central into how you live now so that where you live later, you may still be with God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth as we worship, as we praise you, help us be those
spoke, we know, cherish, and value your word above all, that we may pattern according to your leading. Let your spirit give us the strength and the power to obey, as in our flesh we are unable. Amen. Pastor Dylan. Thank you, Wilson. Well said. Well said. You know, if I had to summarize everything Wilson just said today, I would say this. What do you worship? We think of worship as singing, but worship is rejoicing. It's what you delight in. It's what you take joy in. It's, it's what gets you up in the morning and keeps you up at night. Worship is what you pour your affection out to. I thought of Colossians chapter 2 as you were sharing. It says this. Now among you as believers, there must be no sexual immorality, idolatry. There must be no, he, he goes through a list, angry outbursts, greed, etc. And he goes, and he ends it by saying this. For all of these things are idols. And money can become that. It can be that thing that you say, if I have this, I'm okay. If I do not have this, I'm nothing. And so I think what better way to end a day like this than to worship? To say, I delight in you, God. I repent, I turn, and I say, whatever else I've been living my life for, it's not enough. You can place very good things as gods, and they become very bad. Your, your family, your children, your career are all beautiful things given to you by God, but if they become the reason you are alive, your life will be built on sand. Let them all glorify God and give yourself to God so that they become their rightful thing. And so let's do that. Let's rise and let's worship the only one we were meant to. Faithful Father, loving God, we turn our hearts to you. Father of kindness, you have poured out grace. You brought me out of darkness, you have filled me with peace. And giver of mercy, you're my help. In time of need, Lord, I can't help but sing.
you pulled me from the ashes you have broken every curse my blessed redeemer you have set this captive free
know, I feel we would be remiss if we did not give you the opportunity to do what the rich man never had the opportunity to do. And that is to make this moment a marker in your life of repentance. Now, nobody's going to do anything weird to you, but I think it's important that you have a moment where you say to God, I have been wrong and I need you. And so if you'd like to pray that prayer with me, I invite you to bow your head. Father in heaven, we ask you to forgive us. We ask you to cleanse us. And we ask you to make us new. I pray by your resurrection power that you would raise us with Christ from the dead. And that by your cross, we would be cleansed of all guilt. Lord, I pray for my own heart and for each heart here today that we would be worshipful to you and you alone and that the first commandment would stand true, that we worship the Lord, the, your, the Lord our God and him only. I pray that would be true of each of us here today and that our hearts would be filled with worship. In Jesus' name. Now I pray one last benediction over you from the book of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forever. Amen. May God bless you this week, and may God keep you. Thank you for being with us today. Be sure to listen to all our messages on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And follow us on ne-cc.org for all information and updates. Thank you. God bless. Have a great day.